and I was interviewing for the a head of DNI role at Google for the ads business, okay. which was like out of the blue. She was yeah. like, "Well, wait a minute. You're in business. You're here doing business operations roles. Why are you considering HR?" <laughs> Welcome back to Talent Surgery. Uh, as always, I'm Steve, and this is my co-host, Yasser. Hi, everyone. Today, we are joined by Virginia Torado. Virginia joins us in the UK, but originally is from Venezuela. Welcome. Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, we've got a lot of questions for you today. Um, a lot of very interesting questions. Um, obviously, you've had a very, uh, very interesting and eclectic background in terms of your experience and, and your journey as well. Um, and I think our audience would be really keen to know a lot about that because you you didn't start off in talent acquisition. Um, I want to say you fell in it, but it sounds like you did aim to get there. Um, but yeah, tell us about your journey. Well, maybe start off with your real current role. That would be good, just so everybody knows as well. So, well, hi everyone, I'm, I'm Virginia Tirado, as you said, I'm, I'm the Director of Talent Acquisition for Zalando. And um, yeah, I do have a bit of a interesting journey. And uh, funny enough, I was reading this week about people falling into recruitment. And um, <clears throat> I think there's a bit of that because we don't necessarily start up thinking about having a career in HR necessarily, although you're seeing a little bit more of that these days. Um, <clears throat> I think it goes even further about you know, people's attitude towards change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my mom um, would always say you know, the only constant in life is change. And uh, I know that didn't come from her, obviously, you know, from times of Greek philosophers. That's the one thing we have. So um, being from Venezuela, I had left Venezuela in my early 20s and Let's just leave it at that because you might actually end up doing the math. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, went to get my master's degree in the U.S. and wanted to see the world. You know, wanted to um, explore. And um, sadly, things didn't go as well in my country. So going back home wasn't necessarily a clever idea. Mm -hmm. So going back to those early lessons about embracing change. Yeah. being adaptable and just thinking about what you do next. Yeah. Um, actually, my first master's, or my, my master's was in maritime law, of all things. Oh, right. Because my plan was to go back to Venezuela and work for the oil industry forever, <laughs> you know, like my dad did, right? <laughs> um, but again, you know, it's, it's about thinking about what you have in that tool belt and how you can use it. Mm -hmm. And when the opportunity arose, you know, I moved from legal to the business, and then from business to exec recruitment to TA, where I'm today. So I've had this evolution. Oh, um. Yeah. Hey everyone, before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and like and share this video. It was deep rooted in early in your kind of t teenage slash 20s, right? Where you kind of thought, that, okay, I've got to embrace change now because you couldn't go back to your country. So you, just talk us through your beginning stage. So you were, what was your kind of field 
uh, after university. So so I studied law yeah. in Venezuela and worked for the oil industry. That's what we used to do yeah. a couple of decades ago. Venezuela has always been a, a very important oil producer and um, knew that, you know, in order to, at least this is what my mom, ha- you know, w- coming from a Latin background, education is super important for many immigrant fa- families. It is right. So yeah. my mother was very adamant about the fact that, you know, getting a university degree wasn't enough. You have to go get a master's, and mm. the more you prepare and educate yourself, the better opportunities you would have. Mm. And um, and I was looking for a place where I can actually stand out. And maritime law was quite unique, but it also would allow me to go abroad and get a master's. I thought you know, that would be really good to just engage, see other cultures, just open your mind and kind of explore and yeah. connect. And uh, and that's what I did. I went to get a master's in maritime law. And uh, and doing that, my idea was always to just work a couple of years in the U.S. and come back with lots of experience yeah. and, and, you know, make lots of money, right? That's what you're thinking when you're the in your 20s, yeah. right? Yeah. The dream, you know, living the American dream. dream. The American dream. And, um, and reflecting on that today, you know, um, I'm glad I did. Because things did get worse in Venezuela, but then I stayed in the U.S., practiced for a bit, sat for the bar, which is also, you know, a big challenge, right? Yeah. So, sat for for the bar, and then in order to officially lawyer. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. lawyer, recruitment leader. Yeah. So I and I, you know, I used to go to court and stuff, and you know, in 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 the U.S. And um, went back, I really wanted to live in Florida. I thought being Hispanic, you know, Florida gave us the opportunity to work internationally and do so much more. So I got my master's at Tulane, lived in, the U- in, the, in Louisiana for a couple of years. And then cool. in order to practice in Florida, uh, I had to go back to law school and get an American law degree. So I did two more years of law school, sat for the Florida bar and lived, lived happily ever after for 13 years there. Had my kids there, worked for Oracle. That's where my career at Oracle started. Yeah. Um, leading the legal department for Oracle for Latin America building. This was, you know, late 90s, um, beginning of 2000s. Let's say it's yeah. beginning of 2000s, right? And um, it was fascinating. I got to travel through Latin America. My husband and I are both lawyers, so and we were both from Venezuela. So we settled in Florida and lived. Who usually wins? Yeah, it's interesting because we're both lawyers. I think we've learned, you know, we're celebrating 30 years of marriage, so we've learned that you kind of have to keep it balanced. Right. You got to win some and lose some. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Dinner table talk. So what would you have done in this situation? Well, I would have done it differently. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, at one point, it was really funny. When we were both in private practice, before we moved into working in-house, we wouldn't talk about work because we could end up discussing confidential. True information so right. it was really funny to ask your husband when you're newlyweds you know how was your day uh, and you come out, all good and yours good that's cool questions though came out oh <laughs> a few a few and it's interesting because we all we both have very different ways of explaining how we ended up together but it's they're both very funny and uh um we actually did work together but we were friends for many years and uh, i think you know one thing especially when we had kids um we we had this urge of wanting to continue to explore. I felt Latin America was great, but it was a very small pocket of the world. Yeah. So we both have been very supportive of our careers, and basically, uh, we said, let's you know, we had now our U.S. passport, and it was like, okay, now we can explore. You know, 
what if we just think about going to Europe for a couple of years? We kind of got the timing wrong on that one because we moved in oh. 2008, uh, right before uh, the financial uh, crisis. Uh, so again, embracing change, you know, what was supposed to be um, an amazing job with Oracle to grow a, a $1 billion business into $2 billion back then, you know, uh, would have given me an opportunity to do so many things. And suddenly the market crashes. There's this massive financial crisis. And the role that should have been for growth ended up being a specialty role in reduction in force. You know, how do we work? What do we so do? Just to kind of go into that a bit more. So in Oracle, when you came to the Europe, your role was no longer around legal. It was more around business. Yeah. So you point. changed the role as well. So when I had my son um, 20 years ago, uh, and this is something that I really love to talk about because I think many times, you know, we want to retain women in the workforce, mm -hmm. right? And especially having, having given birth and when you can afford to spend time at home and if you make the choice to stay at home, it's awesome. But if you want to go back to work, sometimes what happens, and at least that's what happened to me, I felt that there was nothing in it for me staying in legal. I wasn't learning. I wasn't growing. I did a lot of great things. I had gotten to, you know, I was a, the head of the legal area for Latin America, with working with amazing people, negotiating great contracts, always on a plane, always negotiating. And I felt like my entire life was basically constant negotiation, right? You're a right. lawyer, a corporate lawyer. And I would come home and I would be exhausted. So... Talking about having great allies. Yeah. I was about to say something. I mean, similar to recruitment, right? Because we talk all day. This is also quite <laughs> You do. But I think the difference with recruitment is that you're helping people, you know, find the right match, find the right opportunity. Um, it's not always give and take, but actually um, you're yeah. building, right? And I yeah. felt in legal, although I loved my job and I loved the people I work for, I wasn't necessarily adding any new skills. So talking about having great allies, and I think, you know, back then at Oracle, I had two amazing VPs that were in charge of Latin America, and they were then, you know, they've moved on and they've continued to be mentors and allies throughout. And I went up to the person that was in charge of Latin America and said, you know, I want to stay in the workplace, but I'm not having fun anymore. Sure. Yeah. And it's that's when the opportunity... I'm really glad that you spoke up. Yeah. Because you know, not many people do. There's a lesson there, definitely. There is 100% a lesson, yeah. So you went from a business role where you went from a lawyer role to the business role. From the business role, this is, I think, the curious part. How did you end up in recruitment? So I think it's down to uh, an amazing exec recruiter. I went, so this, this we're talking about these mentors, right, that allowed me to move to the business side at the right time and kept me at Oracle. And then that helped me move to the U.S., from the US to the UK. When I left Oracle, um, one of those uh, mentors was now at Amazon. And I, I asked, you know, we would always connect for career advice. And I asked a little bit about, you know, what was it like to be at Amazon? What, what would that look like? And so on. And I was in the US and he said, why don't you come over and just meet with us? Yeah. You know, just talk to us, you know, I'll introduce you a few people so that you can think about it. And I, I had this long day of interviews with so many people just to meet and greet and understand what roles might be available and so on. And this exec recruiter came to give me a break, basically a break from, you know, meeting people, right? And <laughs> just go, let's have uh, some water, let's chill, let's show you the campus. And um, 
she asked me a question that I ask everyone today when I actually am recruiting. It's like, so what else are you interviewing for? At the time, I was in business operations, but I was already very curious about moving into HR. Mm. And I was interviewing for the, a head of DNI role at Google for the ads business, okay. which was like out of the blue. She was yeah. like, well, wait a minute. You're in business. You're here doing business operations roles. Why are you considering HR? So at the time, my, my train of thought was, I'd love to be the chief operating officer for a startup. And with everything that I had done in operations, I thought I had so much that I can give and so much that I can do, but I felt I didn't know enough of HR. And um, I thought DNI would have been a great place to start and, and staying in technology and uh, you know getting into that space. Yeah. So you start reflecting. I think that that's the other thing, right? I said we embrace change, but sometimes you have to drive change. Yeah. And you kind of have to have your op options open and be a bit flexible about where you go in. So was and it more interest or passion at that point? I think at that point, it was career and purpose driven okay. that I wanted to go into HR, but mm -hmm. it wasn't the only thing I was considering, right? I was still, what I knew well and what I did was really business operations. I had been doing that for a number of years, worked yeah. in some of the most important mergers and acquisitions for technology that were happening at the time when Oracle bought everything from, you know, BEA to Sun Microsystems to you know, people yeah. soft, all these massive um, acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had no idea it would turn into a, a passion later. So when she heard that, she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know what? You need to meet our, uh, at the time she's not, she, today she's the CPO for Amazon, but at the time she was the head of, you know, the, the SVP for uh, HR for operations. And this lady, Beth Galetti, who is an incredible leader, um, was came from IT. She was the the chief information officer for FedEx in EMEA. And they had hired her into an HR role. And she's like, you need to talk to her because I think you would be amazing with the background you have and everything. If you want to do HR, I think we would love, she knew about my background in operations and yeah. my background in mergers and acquisitions and how I mapped talent and all of this. So she was saying to me, you would be amazing at exec recruitment. And I was like, well, if that's what you need me to do. Uh, <laughs> so you put the fate of your future in someone you just met. It's a good bet. What What was the difference between HR and recruitment, though? Because HR, most people have like a kind of an understanding. Did you have like an understanding of recruitment at that time? Or yeah, well, I mean, I had hired and, you know, and led so many people throughout my career. Yeah. And I had managed big teams, right? So you, I think as a business leader, that what what is different when you're different when you're a hiring manager is you don't necessarily have the the knowledge of how difficult it is to get the right talent right because especially if you have good recruiters yeah, it's yeah. very humbling afterwards i had no idea at the time <coughs> yes sir when i was speaking to this recruiter that um i would have to learn so much to be yeah. fair i had to eat a bit of humble pie because i didn't necessarily have the highest regard for recruiters before and it has nothing to do with the recruiting profession. It has to do with the fact that I had had jobs that um, I landed to into, like by an exec recruiter, I was hired into Oracle and I was there for almost 16 years. So I hadn't had that interaction. And sometimes, you know, you would get somebody that would ping you on LinkedIn or something and 
they'll never follow up or whatever because there's not really an yeah. interesting discussion going on. Yeah. So my my perception before going into the profession was very different from when I went in and realized yeah. how hard it is yeah. to really, you know, not only attract talent, but to work with hiring managers to, you know, understand what the strategy should be and so on. So um, I didn't just jump into that. I was looking at other roles at Amazon, but I did open, I said, okay, this sounds interesting. She's like, look, hear me out. We're looking for somebody that can come in to uh, Luxembourg or UK. At the time, I thought it was going to be UK, but, you know, to come into EMEA and help us build um, <coughs> the, the exact recruitment piece. They had been here for many years, but they were going to really expand. So we're talking 2015. And um, what they needed to do, though, and the, this is why it was interesting to have my background, is I did a lot of talent mapping um, when we did the acquisition of uh, of companies yeah. to see, you know, between legacy talent and actually the talent you're acquiring, who yeah. is the best for the job and how do you assimilate, you know, people into different roles and look at transferable skills and so on. She's like, this is what we need because in Luxembourg, you had to hire people for Amazon that wanted to move to Luxembourg. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Not everybody always ticks all the boxes. So right. that's how the conversation started. So with those, just sticking with the skills bit for a second, what would you say are the kind of like the specific skills and insights that you that you thought you brought with from your kind of transition from a business operations role into recruitment or into even into your leadership role today? Yeah, the, the most transferable skills, right? Yeah. So I think two things that have helped me as a recruiter, whether it's exec or whether it's, you know, recruiting for myself or for my teams or leading recruitment is that deep understanding of the business. I think that having, you know, the business acumen to partner and, and become a true partner, you know, like understanding your stakeholders, understanding data, you know, understand I mean, you can use data for so many things, right? You can always manipulate data to do different things. But actually, if you if you came from business operations and you were trying to become more efficient, that's what I did before. When I moved to a to recruitment, one of the things that I've aimed for is to really manage recruitment as another business unit where you know we are predictable we can forecast what we're doing we can you know build the transparency build the partnership and deliver right so i think that that was really important understanding because one thing that i've seen without sounding too critical because i think you know we all are part of hr and we are part of one team is sometimes you know um, we're so busy doing what we need to do to deliver what we need to do that we lose track of what is really relevant Mm. you know or how do we best advise right agree. or yeah. just executing executing and not taking a step back yeah, I yeah. actually got a follow-up question on that because um i think for the audience listening today they've, they've heard this incredible journey what advice would you give them to uh showcase to the business the value that a recruitment team adds or like what's the important things around what we do as giving my questions oh sorry <laughs> yeah so like for example in your current role showing value to the business saying look this is what we're doing this is how we're staying relevant this is how we're staying focused what kind of areas do you focus on mainly or what would be your advice for up-and-coming recruitment leaders my so question was so long, so long. <laughs> i know i don't so know why. It, let's break them down break it down uh, yeah. break it down it's like three four questions so i i think yes yeah, the point that you're making is in 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 recruitment, sadly, we still have to many times continue to show we add value and kind of get invited to the discussions and not find out 
after the fact, right? When, uh, when, after, when there's already a hiring plan that nobody's actually consulted and, and so on, right? So one of the things that I find um, is helpful is to really be transparent about what you can deliver, right? And, and how you want to partner, what is your style? And I think that everybody's aiming for the same, right? Your business leader wants to be successful, wants you to be successful, but sometimes doesn't understand how they can make you successful and how to build that partnership. And, um, and sometimes there are just too many people having separate conversations, right? You have a business partner that is talking to a hiring manager or to a business leader. You've got the recruiter. You've got you as the recruiting leader. Uh, you've got finance. You've got the planning folks mm -hmm. that are... And we don't always come together. Mm -hmm. So I think successfully, what I would suggest is, you know, understand who the key stakeholders are. How do you win? How do you build that winning team? And who do you need to bring along the journey? And uh, it's not always the easiest thing. No. But once you get it right, Especially it makes you're dealing everyone's with different life. Cultures as well. You yeah. know, if they've worked in different ways in other businesses, whether it's US, whether it's Chinese, whether it's Russian, you know, there's so many different people in the room. You're the kingmaker of startups, right? So I wouldn't say kingmaker. <laughs> the when the organizational design part, I've always noticed that in in the startup world, the recruitment team tends to have more of a say in the organizational design, just because they're a bit more hands-on. I always well, talk also to you. It depends on the size as well. So if like it's if like a small startup, then they have no choice. Yeah, but um, then isn't that saying something like every time I talk to you and you're running, you're growing 100, 200, or however many people. You're always having these conversations with business leaders. Look, do you really need this in your team? This is a good structure. Yeah. I feel like as you grow as an organization, you lose that. Um, the recruiter's team. It depends on how you upskill yourself throughout the organization as well and how you continue to have those conversations but, but, and making sure you're at yeah. the forefront yep. of the business operations. So I think me personally, I, because of my background and because of my interest, I always have that commercial mindset. So I will always, you know, challenge, do we need double of everything, right? Do we need 100 roles right now? Could yeah. we not phase them over the year? You know, so uh, uh, wha yeah. what, is the, what is the value that we're bringing and what is also the danger that we might have if we have too many people in the organization? Yeah, as a recruitment leader yourself, Virginia, how important is it for you to get involved in organizational design? to forecast your delivery? It's super important. I think that the issue we have again is, you know, not everybody realizes why that's important. Yeah. People are so sometimes because of the way that corporations do evolve, you know, you're always running, chasing some deadline for some pitch, for some budget, for some deadline. And people forget that, you know, if you don't work together, it's great that you got the approval, but then if you don't let me know or let us know, we might not have the people to go out and help you deliver. So yeah. the earlier we start talking about it, and I think you said something really uh, imp important, Steve. It's like, how do you evolve in the organization? How you build that trust? And when people realize that you're not just saying no for the heck of saying no, right? Like, actually, you want to say yes, and you want to deliver, but it's understanding what, what is needed, right? It's just like, I, I always try to use the business analogies right if you had somebody in logistics and you you know you want them to be at build a hundred cars but you just tell them two days before yeah and they don't have the parts to build it like right. they can really want to build a car for you but they don't have the parts so once you start letting um educating your hiring managers to understand how recruitment works 
it becomes so much more clear. So you have to speak their language as well and try to bring them in that journey. I agree, you do. And at the same time, I've, I've always found this very challenging throughout my career is when you're dealing with, whether it's hiring managers, whether it's the CEO, how can you get them to download what they're thinking in the most clearest, concise yeah. manner to make your life a lot easier, yeah. right? Because the, the, the more that, it's, it's, it's that whole kind of like, help me to help you scenario, right? Mm. So the, the, as much information they can tell you about how they want to build the business, what do our values want to look like, you know, how do, what, how do we want to express our EVP? Getting that information is so critical for the HR and the recruitment team to be able to take straight back to the business, say, yeah, we can mm. do this. It makes sense. You know what's really interesting about that is that I always say that one of the development areas that every single person has, doesn't matter how good you are, is communication. And within communication, there's a sub area, which is clarity. Mm. And so many people need to focus on how this do they provide point. clarity. Because that, that's always lost, right? You always end up kind of having... You're hiring, when you're hiring people into a... Let's say you're hiring, a, I don't know, a group of developers or a group of analysts into a, into a tech team or in they or be working on a, an application or something. If there's no clarity or job description over exactly what they're going to be doing from nine to six or whatever, how can that person be productive, enjoy it, mm. and actually know what the hell they're doing mm. when they're in the in the team? Clarity it's true. It's so critical. And and again, I, I go back, sorry, to the fact that when we're doing these things, you know, the bigger the company, the harder it is to have those touch points, but also you end up doing a lot of, you know, thinking short term, like what do we need for this fiscal year? Yeah. And and you do draft these wonderful strategy documents about, but there's hardly ever a real talent strategy mm. supporting it or even supporting your workforce plan. And, uh, you know, when you think about early careers or when you think about sustainability, when you think about DNI, everybody is definitely thumbs up you know we're all for it let's go there but if you don't put the planning and are not willing to invest in the time that it requires you're not going to be successful at some mm. of this stuff right so no, I again think. i think many times we get cut off in the process because we have to focus on the rush yeah. you know the deadline or this fiscal year right just taking a, a step back obviously we took we spoke about the skills what do you think were the main challenges that you faced when you did transition into a recruitment position that was, you know, let's say slightly out of your comfort zone, not yeah. entirely, but just totally. Slightly. And it's it's very funny. I was talking to Yasar, you know, like I've just, I was very fortunate to be invited to a good colleague's, uh, ex-colleague's uh, wedding this weekend. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because uh, you have to be smart, right? Coming in, and I think, you know, as a new leader, wherever it is, people are going to ask, right? They're going to, first thing they do, they're going to look up LinkedIn and they're like, <laughs> so why are we hiring this person? You know, yeah. she's going to come and tell me what to do. You know, not necessarily understanding. You know, so you have to be reflective of, and understanding where you might need support mm -hmm. and be open to your team about it and build those partnerships, right? There are things we can always learn from each other. And I think going in with an open mind, I was very clear that, you know, I didn't know how to do recruitment initially. So when I came into uh, to Luxembourg, before I led people, I actually did the role as an individual contributor for the first six months to understand what it would be like 
to make my own hires, to, you know, to talk to, ca to candidates, to close them, to work with hiring managers. So I earn a couple of stripes before I yes. can actually wow, go in, yeah. right? But the, the conversation about this uh, gentleman that just got married and uh, was that, you know, I was very clear at the beginning. He was an incredible recruiter. I had lots of experience. And I didn't want him to feel that, you know, me coming in meant, okay, move on, you know, move out of the way. I'm going to take charge. But it was building that initial understanding of what we can learn from each other. And I think, mm -hmm. Yasser, you know, we've had that opportunity yeah, yeah, as well where, you know, if you as a leader want to transition, you don't have to be a leader. If you as a recruiter want to go into business partnering, if you want to do, you know, rewards and benefits, if you want to think about what else is there, today we're so lucky. There's so many apps you can look at. They will tell you immediately where are the gaps that you need to fill. But, you know, just be honest about where you need those learnings to come from. And when you come in, don't be afraid to show that vulnerability. Mm. Because if you believe that you have value to add, right, you would it would be very clear to others, right? And immediately after a few weeks of working together, I think people will realize, okay, this is what I can learn from Virginia, but I will know that this is what I want to learn from Steve or from Yasar. And we build a partnership that hopefully will last beyond the times we've worked together. Really, that's really nice. I, I want to change the dis direction of this discussion slightly because we m missed a really important question. And typically, I'm just going to go in with two questions. Uh, one is, what's your productivity hack? Because we usually ask that right at the beginning, but we straight in, straight in. And the second question is, what are you most excited about in recruitment right now? Yeah. So I thought, I was like, I, I, thought, I probably <laughs> missed a question. So I think productivity hacks, you know, they change. There might be things you do earlier. You know, you always have to be adjusting, right? I think after COVID, we've started spending so much time at home and it was so difficult to separate boundaries, to work from home and always be on, right? So you think you're being productive by just working and working and working, right? And not realizing that you might be burning yourself out. So two things I try to do is at the end of the day, check or you know, at the end at the end of the weekend you know check what's next what's big for the week what's next for the next day where do i need to make sure i save time for and also check what's going on in your personal life not just work so that you can manage you know without feeling overwhelmed and then the other bit that i try to do is i do get up early i'm not a morning person but i do get up early and i like to take those first couple of hours in the morning before I start my day to really do the things I enjoy. Mm. You know, maybe get up, have a cup of coffee with my husband. Me time. Me time mm. or with the family or, you know, just have a lay in with my dog. You know, just do things that are going, that if I run out of time during the day, yeah. they, you know, they really give you that energy to really start the day in the best mood possible. If you get up and you go straight into a call and you haven't had a chance to get headspace to really, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if you, if you like meditation and you want to do five minutes meditation, if you want to go for a workout, walk, whatever it is that you do, you know, try to make that time for you before the day gets in the way. I'm hearing yeah, a theme. Your mind, because your mindset. Yeah. yeah, I do agree. Uh, there's, I think, third person on this show, and we've only had five episodes who talked about their dog, and then the early morning starts. <laughs> You're an early morning start as well. I, I am. I mean, I get up at five, but you know, having Walk the dog. But to your point, 
you know, having the dog, to me anyway, it's like, it's very therapeutic. Absolutely. Really therapeutic. I don't know what it is. It's just, you look at your dog's eyes and you just feel very calm. Mm. And there's just like this cuteness about it. Right? <laughs> but that, but that, that element is like what chills me out. And I could quite happily just, you know, sit on a park bench for an hour, just constantly throwing the ball, because I know that he'll just keep coming back. But, but there's something there, right? So in the morning, it's nice to have something that kind of just isn't about work, isn't about anything, but just... Well, that you probably... Because obviously, the more responsibility you have, the, pa the, the you know, your day is going to be really busy. You know that you're going to have a busy day. You're going to have a busy day. Exactly. And will you really have time to be present for those five minutes that yeah. you're having a cup of coffee with mm. people you care for? Or even just checking your LinkedIn feed and see, you know, whose birthday it is. So you can yeah. say, you know, just doing a couple of things that for you will give you that chill factor. Like, yeah. okay, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to start. It doesn't matter how it ends. It started well. I can't control the rest of the day, but normally no. you can and control it's, it's a bit. I don't know about you, but I hardly ever get lunch. I hardly yeah. ever take a lunch. In fact, I can't remember the last time I took a lunch break because there's always a meeting that leads into another meeting. And then it's... You know, there's just no time in between. Mm -hmm. And if you work in an international company, it's even worse because everyone's on different time zones. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to fit you got to fit it into everyone's but calendar. I, th I think there, Steve, if I'm honest, you should block out some time. I've told you this so many times how often no, I block out time. Done. So oh. well, this is what I've started <laughs> doing. And I think this is why looking at the day before, yeah, if you cannot have lunch at 12, that's fine then because you have to attend an important meeting not every meeting is important right but let's say you really do need to get a hold of a higher manager that otherwise is going on trip or whatever move it to one o'clock you know have a block mm -hmm. of 12 to 2 where even if it's 20 minutes that you take i mean you don't even have to eat because some people are fasting or they don't yeah. want to eat but it's getting up breaking the day you know taking a fr some fresh air or having a chat, just do something that the is not Pomodoro technique as well, right? I don't know. Do you know about the Pomodoro technique? Pomodoro technique. Yeah, I no. think it's like it's like ten, twenty. I don't know. Breaking tasks for twenty minutes. Yeah, breaking tasks oh, for twenty yeah, minutes. I, I do. I don't usually follow that. I'm like fifty minutes, ten minute break. Fifty right. minutes, ten minute break, and that really helps me just stay right. focused during yeah. life. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I suppose it can be done. It's just a case of depending on what work you've got, what projects mm. you're working on. You know targets that you need to meet you know deadlines and stuff and i think the other reason is is I, I like to get everything done during the day so that i can actually try and finish at six o'clock mm. so that i can all five thirty and switch off so that yeah. i can spend time with the family or chores like washing and cleaning and things like that like this stuff that has to be done still because you know that you'll only end up doing it on the weekend so that's <laughs> important and i think one thing that you know i've i've noticed is if you have it in your calendar, it probably will happen. But right. you have to be, you you have to ensure that you make it happen. So, if if you if you want to work straight and finish at six, and that works for you, then that's great. But then make sure that you do finish at six, and it doesn't go on until eight, and so on. Because I think when we're working from home, it is so easy to lose track of time. Mm. So you know, make sure when you talk about those productivity hacks, is just block those bits in the calendar, you are right. and don't allow people to steal your time, <laughs> unless you we know, need to charge them for it, right? Yeah, unless <laughs> you feel you know it's it's important enough for you to give up something, you know, because I, I think that that's um, one thing that we we have not done well, and, and I, I I 
say we as well in there, is that sometimes we just don't prioritize ourselves. Mm. And we're, you know, we're so worried about being there for our stakeholders, being there for our teams, being there for our families. Mm. And um, it will catch up with you eventually. There's a recent, this conversation I've had so many times with my team. And I recently started asking them a question. I said, would you carry on working if your day finished at 2 o'clock? And they were saying, no. I'm like, okay, so why are you working at 6.30 then if your day finishes at 6? And I think subconsciously we just carry on because we want to get the tasks done. Correct. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of, if I said to everybody, hey, everyone, your day finishes, I'm only paying you up to 12. You're not going to work at 1, 2. Well, I used well, to threaten my old team. <laughs> I used to say to them, if I see you online past this certain time, I'll get IT to cut you off. Yeah, well, I think it's but important. They see you online. I mean, that's the bit, yes, right? Like that's probably doesn't help. But then I've learned now to make sure yeah. I look offline. Oh, that's <laughs> it. Okay, so moving on to the second question: What are you most excited about recruitment right now? Mm. Um, you know, it is hard because, like, even this morning, you know, you get you see so many people worried about the future of recruitment because so many people don't have a job or are looking for a job or so on. But I think there's a lot of things to stay excited about, right? I think that, um, okay, not everybody might feel this way, but uh, you know, embracing change is important. So mm -hmm. what are some of the bigger things that we're seeing changing right now? You know, artificial intelligence. So I've just recently done a post saying, you know, trying to keep myself appraised on topics like this is like, if you've got a bit of a slowdown or actually if you ended up losing your job, I mean, there's always going to be a good job for good people. It might be a bit hard. It might be, you might have to tighten your spending for a few months and, you know, have a plan, but use this time that is so unique to continue to learn and develop. I mean, mm. I am amazed at, in, you know, what we can be doing today. And instead of thinking about technology in the, you know, in the, and doom day being around the corner with uh, with chat gpt thing or any other ai um i think it's going to be exciting to see how this really influences our productivity how we can use it to be better do we have more time now to be more strategic about where we're going to get right. diverse talent to right. be more strategic mm -hmm. about you know how do we ensure that you know we offer the best candidate experience right. possible exactly and if you have, so your director of talent acquisition is Zalando, right? How big is your team now? About 130. Okay. And since AI has been introduced, have you when when did you start or have you started incorporating it into your talent strategies? So to be fair, you know, without getting into too much, I think right now many companies are going through some difficult times, right? Yeah. So, and Zalando is no exception in terms of we need to be it's responsible, economic, time. economic yeah. times, and so on. So we've had to focus on coming together, thinking about our own delivery model and doing a number of other things. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the teams are not, you know, being encouraged to start looking at in AI, mm. AI yeah. and using it right. and not being afraid. I mean, some may have said that, 
it might be a very useful tool to prepare yeah, yeah, yeah. performance evaluations out there. You know, <laughs> um, not that we would ever do that, uh, but experimenting with it, you know, promotion, writing, just making you a better writer, mm -hmm. understanding. I mean, you have to obviously put in the effort, you know, have to feed it the right information. How do mm. you prompt? How do you do things? But if you don't play with it and lose the scare, you know, then you won't. You won't no, but this is why it. I asked the question because. It's not specifically to Zalando, but I guess a lot of, you know, I, I see a lot of content out there and a lot of posts and updates about AI. And I'm just wondering, you know, has anyone actually done it yet? Like, has anyone actually incorporated it into their talent strategy? And if so, so what proven success have, can, has there been? So you can use it. I mean, one thing to do is, you know, for job descriptions, mm -hmm. look at, yeah. you, know, ten, you know, looking at, at job descriptions for influencing you know the uh, the attraction of more diverse talent yeah and we know for years right that there are certain words we shouldn't use and so on but sometimes they might skip so just play with it i've we've done that you know to look at some job descriptions and how yeah. you make it more 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 interesting another bit that you can think about is is really you know when it comes to to incorporating into talent strategy people are worried that people would lose their jobs well, what, what if we actually thought about, you know, again, the skills that are needed and instead of thinking about losing your jobs, thinking about what skills are going to be needed so we can start upskilling and upskilling to the effect that then we know these tools are not going to go away. They're going to get better. How do you use uh, them, you know, to even upskill? Yeah, no, I agree. Unless they're a robot, I don't think well, they're going to be personally I like interacting with another person. But sorry, just to ask another question about that. So. Have you seen any good examples of where AI has, or maybe Zalando's thinking about this at the moment, because it feels like it's a lot, of, a lot of this stuff, even in myself, like it's very much in discovery stage at the moment, um, but using it for improving, you know, reporting, analytics, um, implementing it into, or integrating it into like your ATS and so forth. So definitely I know that we've, you know, kind of funny but um reporting and excel and google sheets yep. uh, are not always uh <laughs> everyone's strength right. and uh um yasser can can tell how how many times he would be the 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 excel guru to actually solve a problem and actually getting the independence today of actually saying okay i need a formula for this how do you go i mean the level of productivity that you can get in some of this yeah. stuff is just unbelievable it is yeah. if people are trained on it but uh, see i've got a really strong opinion on this now go on. i've changed i think personally there's two ways to look at it personally which is yourself using ai just to learn mm -hmm. as a company however i've taken the approach and this is for ta as well that if you look at the adoption curve, you've got early adopters and then you've got enthusiasts and you've got like the conservatives and the late bloomers. I, I genuinely believe that the best practice is to be a fast follower mm -hmm. instead of being the uh, innovator who goes and creates something because Absolutely. you have so many priorities anyway. And do you really genuinely have the time to create something brand new that will fail because you know you you'll iterate mm. right so i think for me personally i'd rather be the second person who does it instead of the first i'm not saying i'd be the last and i'm not saying i'll be the 10th i'll definitely be the second though so so i i would say i, I agree with you yes but i think the bit that we're missing today in ta is like 
again, your question, Steve, is right on point in terms of like, how are you using it? Maybe you don't have to use it, but are you thinking about the talent you need to hire a year from now when we, we you know, this is going to be so evolved. If you see how quickly mm -hmm. it's happening, right? So when you think about upskilling, when you think about diversity, when you think about early careers, when you think about all these things, when you think about your actual workforce, should you be letting people go because they don't know about AI and you're going to go get when it's all new? Or should we be really thinking about how many people will we need so we can start training our folks? That's and if you really have to slow down, this is what I mean when I say, you know, why am I excited? It's like, when do we actually in recruiting have a time to slow down? When when was the last time that you mm. didn't have to be chasing your tails and heads and everything else mm. to meet a hiring plan that you know has changed three times and mm. you're always being you're always the last one to find out, right? So I think that there's more to it. I'm not I wouldn't say that you have to think about AI as the early adoption tool or the innovation tool or so on. I agree with Yasar, use it for yourself, don't be scared learn and teach yourself but let's think about what is the talent that we're going to need to recruit what do our kids need to know like the folks that are at university my son's in his going into his third year at uni studying physics he doesn't know what to do with his degree right but wouldn't it be amazing if Very durham nice. starts thinking okay he's got two more years here yeah. why don't we start training these kids right mm. so i what? think that that's the bit that we sh we should be talking about that should be exciting yeah i, I do i'm, I'm going to make us all winners here yeah <laughs> it's not an argument it's well, it is in a kind of an argument, but I agree with what you're saying. Yep. I think, you know, being, you know, there's kind of followers is, is, is great, but I do still, I do believe that, because there's a balance, at the same time, you do need to be an innovator as well, because any change that you make could have a really big impact mm. to help others later on. No, I so agree with gotta you. Be, you've got to have that creative well, mindset still. Let me put a caveat and an asterisk on that. What I'm saying is mainly don't like obsess over it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. you should be iterating, and every time you're iterating any process, you should be thinking, okay, can the AI help me in here? Right. But you do that anyway. Like yeah. you should have. Th there's a whole process anyway happening without AI, which is every so often reviewing your processes, every so often looking at manual tasks, every so yeah. often looking at candy experience, and then within that you say, okay, well, how can I automate? How can I use AI how can I, but what you said actually is really interesting because that's not about TA that's not about the individual but that's actually about the future workforce yeah and yeah. and us TA when you're talking to your stakeholders and you're thinking about your talent strategy it's not so much about incorporating AI but thinking about because we'll let the innovators innovate we'll let the techies do the techie work but What's going to happen when you realize you've got people that are staying behind or might actually end up losing their jobs mm -hmm. um, because they don't know the tools or, the, or their tasks will get replaced? If we were thinking from now, how do we upskill that workforce or how do we ensure that, you know, we help them be um, relevant, you know, with the new skills, right? So is it a skill? So this is an interesting one because from a workforce point of view, depending on what type of business I guess you are, is it the upskill just because you want to give them new skills for the future or is it the company needing to think about what other products do they need to build or what other business units do they need to build within their organization you know to kind of make them bigger make them more profitable etc and if they've got bodies in the company how can they utilize the bodies which potentially may become don't want to use the word extinct but you know essentially 
not as usable as they were a year ago. So mm. it's 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 almost like the company needs to also evolve, in so that the the employees evolve at the same time. I think those are all valid questions. I mean, I wouldn't have the right answer necessarily, but it's I think something to think about. But that's right? exactly why I'm I'm raising it. I think we're missing the boat. We're so nervous about this or we're trying to figure out okay what else can i do you know that is cool with this tool and i was mm. joking about the performance evaluations but think about it how long does it take to write you know well i think it's it, it makes complete sense to use it to articulate your thoughts but not to use it to rely on like exactly you, right you, you, you have to learn to feed it and so on so but uh, but the questions that we need to be asking as ta leaders as hr leaders as responsible people leaders is what does this mean, really? Yeah. I mean, you know, like let's let's dig in, let's understand, you know, what. So, do you think like I the agree. audience is listening now? You got recruiters, recruitment heads, even agencies listening, hopefully, um, and they're thinking, okay, this, we've talked about this AI piece. You've just mentioned what question? How how would they actually take that to the business? So, what would you advise in terms of taking this particular but you question? Think about, I mean, you've been in tech recruitment for. Most of your life, right? Yeah. Um, when you sit down with your hiring manager, you know, with your CTO or just two levels below, and you look at the hiring plan for next year, how many people are still looking for front-end mm. Java engineers or back, or you know, looking for Python experts or whatever? Have you seen? I mean, like, wouldn't it be a good time to sit down and say, "Hey, do you think we need to be looking at?" investing more i mean we do have data scientists we do have machine learning we do have ai those are very small teams for most companies in in terms of the bigger yeah, population the so what, what you're doing no one not a lot of people do which is ask the question yeah, i think there's an element where people are just kind of right from the beginning of recruitment because you don't go through a certification you don't go through you need to get into recruitment you're kind of taught here's the requirement fill it yeah yeah so you're kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're executing on... Yeah, you're executing, but you're also... I'm not saying taking orders because that would be kind of disrespectful, but sometimes we're in that mode of just executing, right? Yeah, yeah and over the years, that plays a part in just kind of building these habits of, okay, this is my job. Take what you need and deliver. And it's almost become a bit of a scapegoat for a lot of people where they say, well, I've delivered. doesn't matter. I hit my numbers. I hired. You asked me for that. Whereas taking ownership is actually saying, okay, well, why? Well, that's uh, my point. Yeah. So I I had a, a chat with Johnny Campbell not too long ago about sustainability of talent, and um, perhaps because I've been in this world for a bit longer and have gone through 2008 and you know what that crisis meant and so on, it's like, why are we so surprised that? you know, 2023 has gone so wrong, if 2022 was giving us all the signals already, mm. right? And and yet, um, we kept on going with the right, recruitment. I think it was even early. I think it was early 2020. 20, it, absolutely. It's just, it was masqueraded. It was masqueraded and we didn't, you know, we wanted to stay positive. And particularly when you look at, you know, in technology, what happened after... The, the very beginning of COVID when people were scared and lots of people lost their jobs and then we started again, okay, let's start hiring again like crazy and so on. And what happens is that you need to be able to have the voice to challenge 
and say, you were saying it earlier, which you do in the startups, right? You're like, why do you need two? Yeah. Mm. It's like, no, 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 we need two. It's like, but why can you, you know, what happens if, you know, instead of hiring two, we hire one and we start training a few of the people that are really good that we might, you know, those type of conversations will, I think will continue to happen more and more because I think that even the folks like Google and others that were like, okay, we're different. We're not going to let, let go anyone or whatever, you know, we work differently and so on. And suddenly they're just firing people by email or by not even that, by losing access. Uh, we'll have to think about that sustainability of talent for the future, right? And and how many, like, wh when you were saying earlier, Yasar, you know, like, the way that we've evolved, um, you have this show for a reason. You bring leaders here to talk about what's interesting, to have these, you know, we need more forums like this where mm. it's okay to chat with your peers, see what's working for them, what's mm. not, you know, what can we be doing different? And maybe just thinking about how do we take this to the next level to help mm. other that probably ha don't have as much experience or haven't seen as many things as we have. I think uh, I'm going to just take a moment just to say I 100% agree with you. There was, this is partly why we do this. And also um, recently, myself, Steve, James Goddard, and uh, Sean Allen, we set up a group called the Talent Community, which is a Slack channel. For this I'm part of it. Thank yeah. you for the invite. Yeah, so <laughs> people should join. Uh, yeah, people should join the talentcommunity.net. But it, that essentially is a, an area where people can come in and just share. And we actually without an agenda, right? Which without I think. An agenda. And we invited agency recruiters, RPOs, and we were saying like all of us have some value to add together, where we're not trying to divide, but we're trying to make the world a better place one step at a time. Exactly. There's just so much knowledge sharing. And also, it breaks down a lot of barriers as well. Mm. It does. And I think it'll help us. Um, by helping each other, we're learning. Mm. right? We will continue to discover. If you, you know, challenge me with a question, you know, you've got this thought, and maybe I haven't had a chance to reflect on it, and we reflect on it together, probably our answers will be, you know, our solutions will be much richer, right. much better, because yeah. we've had such different backgrounds between all three of us. Mm. Yet we are facing many of the same problems when it comes to hiring for our yeah. companies. A friend of mine said to me the other, the other day, actually, uh, and he's the CEO of a, of a quite well-known company. Um, he said to me, recruiters are, are almost like untrained psychologists. And I said, yeah, <laughs> actually, it's quite true. We are. We we don't mean to be. We just tend to be. Yeah, it's in our it's in our nature. Um, we're coming up to the end of the episode now, um, and uh, we have another famous question we like to ask, which is, uh, what's been your most embarrassing? Was it embarrassing? Yeah. Embarrassing moment in, in your, your career. career so far. What's your funniest story you can tell? I don't know. That Work, is the question. Candidate, you know. Yeah, so I think funny stories, right? Um, I think life is full of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so yeah. many times, you know, we're preparing for something and then something else, you know, uh, uh, turns up. I think... Um, Was there any, like, <gasps> OMG moments in your, yeah. like, working life? Well, even recruiters. <laughs> Do you know, I think that um, I've had m many of those moments, particularly when you, you know, when you're new and you're transitioning. And uh, I can't particularly, re I can't recall one specific, but I can say that, you know, when, when I first um, 
started at, at Amazon and I was going to lead exec recruitment and I had to have my first stakeholder meeting with uh, the VP of operations at the time. Um, you're so worried about not embarrassing yourself and about, you know, just covering all, all the bits, right? And you forget that, you know, again, we're all humans. It's okay to make mistakes. Yes. And uh, going in, I remember, you know, I, I went in and I was drafting a paper. Um, at Amazon, you have to do all these papers. And he, he wanted just a very simple answer about um, mobility question, about whether we should include, I don't know, if we should increase. I can't remember exactly the issue, but it was about increasing, I don't know, the, school, the schooling allowance for expats or something to that okay. nature. And, uh, you know, I, I turned in, I, I turned up to the meeting. I was a bit late because I wanted to print this document and I couldn't get it to print and so on. I showed up and I had this wonderful three-pager that, you know, I, I felt very proud of coming in. And this is me trying to set, you know, impress, right? And uh, I remember at the time, you know, he was, he was quite kind because he did go through the process of reading the paper and... Um, it actually sucked afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> but he was very kind. He's like, okay, this is great, but you didn't answer my question, <laughs> right? So like, so thinking about, you know, I was so worried about impressing. It's like, I just wanted to know if, you know, if you knew, you know, what your opinion was more yeah. than all of this, right? And at the end, you know, what was your recommendation, right? And I did kind of, but I didn't do such a great job. And I think what, what that taught me later on was like, you know, just trust yourself a bit, right? Like, don't you don't have to aim to impress the first day and don't go overboard you know sometimes mm. it's better to actively listen right but i was like i f you know one moment you feel like you've nailed something and then yeah. you complete you feel like a complete idiot but having you know kind stakeholders that can go back and look at it and not make you feel completely stupid about it actually was was quite good yeah i've said this before haven't i on so many times on the show got to back yourself yeah 100%. you know all the time the world is not going to crumble if you make a mistake. Absolutely. No. You know, no, absolutely. It's, it's going to keep turning yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. There's so many people that believe that everything's going to fall apart yeah. if they don't carry on working and then they go on leave or sick leave and then they come back and everything's fine. But I also think it's because it's the, pre the, pressures, the pressures of the economic times and society in general. Yeah, I 100%. We feel that pressure every single day. Mm. Uh, and that's the other reason why I think a lot of people work so many hours when they don't need to work so many hours. There's a, a little bit of fear to it still. I would love for our recruitment communities to have this kind of duty of care, responsibility, yeah. part of their role expectations to say, like, just check in. Check in with your colleagues. Like, we, we say it as friends. You check in with me all the time. He's uh, I can't stop Steve from checking in, and you check in all the time with me as well, Virginia. I think it 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 almost has to be part of our roles as yeah. well to say, hey, by the way. And it doesn't cost us anything. I no. mean, it's not. It's just hey, even if you just you know, oh. how's the how's the day going? Hey, I thought about you. You know, and sometimes that's all we need. I mean, actually, um, on my way here, you know, I was just on the train journey, and I think I got three different. I was on my WhatsApp. And just, you know, just three different messages from people um, just checking in and seeing, you know, and hey, by the way, and, you know, a lot of people are a bit nervous f with different things. And it just makes you feel so good when, yeah. when mm. you know, 
and then you think, wow, you're not alone. You know, we're all facing this in so many ways. Um, I've had to send a couple of emails to, you know, LinkedIn messages to strangers that are approaching for jobs as recruiters at Zalando. Yeah. And um, uh, I, instead of just saying, no, we don't have anything, you know, I've actually said, hey, you know, send your CV. And uh, if I hear of anything, and you don't imagine the reaction I've had. I mean, probably in a different time, I wouldn't have done this, but I know people need it. And um, like, it's just, it's nice to see that we care and yeah. that people are kind. And sometimes it doesn't take much to make, no. you know. I kind of have a, t I, I've created a template. Um, so, because like you, I get, you know, a lot of messages on LinkedIn from people who are still looking for work, unfortunately. Um, so I've created like a template, you know, same email, same response. With a list of things of, you know, what to do. Yeah. You know, where to go, where to, where to go, CV, what publications to join, you know, and, and I think, and, and you're right, like people are very, because you've gone out of your way to do it, right, to actually reply. Just replying is enough. Yeah. Mm. That's it. Just That's have just that replying. is just yeah. enough. Um, and um, there's a massive appreciation there. Mm. I love what, I think Hong Lee posted yesterday on LinkedIn. Correct, yeah. Uh, a really nice one with, you know, uh, um, things to do and what he is doing. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, um, what the folks at Wreckfest are doing for people that yep. come to, you know, they won't charge if you're not yeah. working, you know, and they're going to give everybody these different mm. lawn yards so mm. that you can connect. And it's that's what idea. we do, right? When, really when we idea, think yeah. about one thing that perhaps, you know, to close this journey about where my career started and where it is today, I mean, um, I still think there's opportunity to do some different things as well. I want to stay in HR and mm -hmm. and I, I'd love to do a broader role to you know, just see what it's like and keep learning. You know, I think on the talent side, like Yasar is doing today, like yep. you've learned, you know, when you have that entire employee cycle, you know, yeah. not only attract and hire, but, you know, the develop and grow yep. and retain uh, is so important. But I, I think that what excites me about the work we do is that human connection. Correct. And of everything yeah. that I've done, I think every role has prepared me to be where I am. I think that's the way to look at it, right? I think um, when we talk about embracing change and we started with you know Greek philosophers to the end, I think one thing that I would always um, share with people is that when you embrace change, because you don't know what's coming your way, you will always learn. You, you know, yeah. It's an opportunity for you to develop and grow. Yeah. But then also reflecting on change if change happens, it doesn't always mean that you have to accept what's happening, but you should use an opportunity before you say no to reflect and see how it aligns to your values, to the things you want in life, and and how you use that change to get closer, right? Very so nice. well, that's, a, that's a really good point to finish off on. Yeah, yeah. very, very nice. Well, thank you so much for thank joining Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And, yeah, and thank you uh, yeah, It's been great having you on. I love what you're doing. I think, you know, we, we need to keep on the conversation on we all do. these great topics and um, keep following. And be real. Always got to yeah. be real. It has yeah. to be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Well, thank you so much thank again. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, we'll see everyone in the next episode. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, before we go, don't forget, like subscribe any comments um we are yeah. still on spotify instagram apple Anyone uh, anything we've got yeah everywhere just type LinkedIn. in LinkedIn. you'll, you'll find, find us, us everywhere yeah. but um yeah we we really appreciate uh, all the views and the comments as well yeah so amazing thank, thank you. you wonderful Bye. everyone
welcome back. Thank you very much for watching. Um, please don't forget to check out our latest episode with Sophie Thien, where we talk a lot around female leadership in tech.